Nice, May May. All right, good morning uh, again, once again. Um, next week, we are going to be in the room next door, which is the room we'll, we'll typically be in week to week. Um, Kimberly's like, can we peek in there? And I was like, well, I think they're setting up for a baby shower or something like that. So um, this is so much better than, than the restaurant that, that I was expecting us to be in um, this morning. And it's, it's a greasy spoon. They got great burgers. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, we'll be in this room again in two weeks on the 15th, I believe, unless, unless we are in that room. Um, but I, I'm, here's, I'm taking this time as we're a small church. We can be flexible. If kids are yelling and, and chatting away, like, whatever. I mean, like, I'll do the best I can to keep us focused and, and whatever. But, I, I mean, this is, this is not high church, folks. It's, this is not, this is not, I mean, like, this is like as most church, well, Hillcrest Hall was kind of churchy, too. It was an old church. But this is like sanctuary, like, this is as close as we've ever gotten. But it's just us. It's, it's, we're not trying to be fancy or anything like that. But uh, let me just say, I, I am so excited to be out, out of covenant, and I'm so excited to be in, um, worshiping again in the morning. I'm so much more fresh and, and, and like vibrant, just personally, in the morning. And so with that being said, I was like, I don't want to preach Genesis. I don't want to do that. And I want to preach Judges 7. And I had a lunch with John Mark this week. And he said something, and I'm going to share what he said to me. And it was like, nope, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. So I called the audible, which is a change of plans from Genesis 2, which is a great passage on marriage, to preaching a passage out of Judges chapter 7. Now, you might not even know where the book of Judges is. You, you're like, what is It's after Joshua. Yeah, that's right. Michaela's old church, what Michaela's old church used to do, they used to like, before church starts, it's fun they would quiz the church on the books of the Bible. And it was like, it's like, oh boy. And uh, her friend Mimi, she'll, she'll, just, she'll just be like, all right, name the books of the Bible and start in numbers. And you have to get like spit it out. I'm not gonna do that to you. But yeah, Judges comes after Joshua. But to me, ju Judges is history. If you wanna like know the history of the Old Testament and a history that comes alive, not like a dry, stale history, it's the book of Judges. And so, um, Judges chapter 7 is, um, I think, a very uh, encouraging text to me. It's something that was really, uh, it has affected me deeply this week, very deeply. And I want to bring God's word to you through Judges 7 today that it might encourage you in your life. The title of this message is People of the Ear, People of the Ear. So if you have a, a Bible or if you have your little app, you can see Judges 7. We're going to read, I believe, verses 1 all the way through 25, verses 1 through 25, which I believe is the entire chapter. Now, let me give you a little context before we jump in and read it. The Israelites, God's people, are being oppressed by a people group called the Midianites. They're so oppressive that the Israelites are hiding in caves, they're they're hiding how they're doing their food preparation. Typically when you do, uh, you make wheat, you, you kind of just do it out in the open so the wind can blow the chaff away, but they can't even do that because the Midianites, upon seeing the Israelites you know, making wheat, they would come in and devour it and take it. And so they have to do everything in secret. And so the Midianites were oppressing God's people for seven years. I mean, talk about this, just this black, 
dark hand on top of the Israelites. And the people were like, we need relief. And so God raises up a judge named Gideon to bring relief. And Gideon, I'll just tell you this. He's probably a lot like me. Um, one of my professors said he's a dundahead. He was from New Jersey. He called Gideon a dundahead. Just, just, a, just not a very faithful, just kind of a weak kind of man. But God raised up this weak, faithless man to deliver God's people. And so Gideon, in chapter 7, is with troops to, to go fight against the Midianites, to, to set these people free from this dark, oppressive hand on top of them that, that they might be free of this and, and might be able to live their life. And so this is where we are in Judges 7. So here we go. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbabal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many men. I can't deliver Midian into your hands, into their hands, or Israel, or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, go with you he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it to you, into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. We don't know how many people are there, but we just get this picture. This is a vast army, vast, with different people groups. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Camels bringing in all sorts of goods, and it's, it's, it's a battle about to go down. Now, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke jars that were in their hands. 
The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah, towards Zerah, as far as, the, as far as the border of Abel. If you can't say, you can see it, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Israelites from Nephtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the water of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Orb and Zeb. They killed Orb at the rock of Orb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. And one of the things I loved to do as a kid, and wasn't very smart, it definitely wasn't smart, was to take pennies to railroads and place those pennies on the rails so that when the trains would pass over and smash it, you'd have this kind of cool-looking souvenir. You know, you look at a penny right now, and it's got like a, a svelte Abe Lincoln, but when that train runs over that svelte Abe Lincoln, it is an overweight, fat Abe Lincoln, and it was great. So me and my buddies would do this from time to time. Now, like I said, it wasn't a very smart idea to do. We were never in a place where the railroad crossings would come down and you'd hear the ding, 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 and the trains have to honk their horn on the way through. No, we would do this kind of like in, in between roads so we wouldn't be seen, like because we don't want to get yelled at and things like that. And so we had no way of knowing that a train was coming with one exception. We would put our ears to the rail and we'd listen to see if a train was coming down the tracks. Now, sometimes you, you could see the train coming down the track, but it's not always wise to rely on your eyes when you're playing on railroad tracks. It's better to rely on your hearing. Because if you're stuck, well, then you're stuck. Now, if you've ever done it, if you've ever placed your ear on the track, it's the same thing with the Christian life. Our Christian faith, the essence of our Christian faith is that very thing. It is faith. We are people of the ear, not of the eye. It's a phrase that I learned from one of my teachers that I've taken to more and more. We are people of the ear, not of the eye. We are to trust what we hear, not what we see. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen as Christians or the essence of Christianity is that we are people of the ear. We put our heads down to the trail and we say, what do we hear? What do we listen to? This is our faith. We are people of the ear. But the reality of my Christian life and my guess is the reality of your Christian life or your life in general is that indeed we are not people of the ear. We are people of the eye. And so we base our good life about what we see, what's going on around us. If we had a good week, man, we're doing great. If we have a good job, our life is doing good. Uh, you know, it, everything is based off of what we see and experience. So that, in fact, when things go bad, which is often the case in my life, and if you're like me, COVID has been tough on, on me mentally, physically, it's been tough on the church. 
It's really hard to say, like, if you're people of the eye, you're going to be depressed. You're going to be down. You're just going to be like, this is so, so hard. But Christians are not people of the eye. Christians are people of the ear. We are to trust that which we have heard, not what we have seen. Do you know this struggle? The struggle to be people of the ear rather than the people of the eye. Do you worry at night because of what you see in your life? I, I know it. In fact, doing life with y'all, I, mean, I remember sitting around my, my, my table in the backyard a few, few a weeks, like two weeks ago, and we were just sharing prayer requests, and it was almost to a person, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. I mean, the essence of anxiety is we're trying to control. We're trying to control that which we see. I deal with anxiety. My guess is you do too. It's because we're trying to be people of eyes, not of the ears. We are to be people of the ear, not of the eye. We are to be people of faith, not of control. This is what Christianity is. But here's the thing. We need encouragement. We need encouragement in the midst of this life of faith, this life of faith, trying to trust, trying to be people of the ear. We need encouragement. And like I told you, Judges 7 was in deep encouragement to me. And I'm just going to get real. This is, I was meeting with my counselor, and I don't want to like, this is not my counseling session or anything like that. But I remember meeting with my counselor in the beginning of March, something like that. And he said, Dan, when you came in March, you were bringing a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxious energy into the room. But now you're starting to bring some depressive energy into the room. It's because things have been hard for me. Um, the church, it's not what I envisioned. You know, this is, I don't know, the fourth place we've worshiped in this year alone. A lot of the faces that were here at the beginning of the year are not here. Those are hard things. I mean, as I look at it, I love seeing the new faces that are here. I love it. But I also miss so many of the faces that are not with us. That's hard on me. It's really hard. And so, I don't know. I'm just like, God, what's up? And that's where John Mark's lunch came in, and he, we just had this. And then Judges 7, the story that I read, reminded me of our God. Now, what we see in Judges 7 and why it's so encouraging to me and, and why, what I'm going to preach on is that God moves in Judges 7. God moves, and his movement for me, and I hope for you, is so encouraging regardless of the circumstances going on in your life. And there's three movements of God that I, that, I, that I want you to see, and I'm going to draw out and show you that are so encouraging to me. There's his plan. God has a plan. He puts together a plan. That's the first movement. God has a gift for his people and the third one, God has a battle to fight. So th these are the three categories that I want you to see that Judges 7 gives to us that brings us this encouragement. And it's my hope that in this encouragement, you indeed would be a person, not of the eyes, what you see and what you experience and the life you live, but that you'd be a, but, but you'd be a person of the ear. That you'd put your ear to the rail and say, oh boy, the Lord's coming. The Lord is moving just like a train coming down that track. So let's look at these movements of God. So let's look at this first one, this first movement of God, which is God's plan. 
God does have a plan to deliver his people from the oppressive Midianites, does he not? He does. And he's using and he's calling Gideon to bring deliverance from the people. And so Gideon, like I said, brings together 32,000 men to fight this great army. 32,000. No, we, 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 don't, we don't have the number of the Midianites, but we know that the Amalekites are there too. And the camels have, are, are bringing goods. For, I, I, I can only imagine it. it's, it's weapons. It's whatever they use to fight battles. But you get this sense that this Midianite army is so massive, so big, that 32,000 people are going to have to come and fight this battle. We don't know if this is enough people even to fight this battle. But look at what God's plan is. Gideon, you got too many people. You got too many people. If you go into battle with these 32,000 people, you're gonna think we have delivered ourselves from Midian. I don't want you to boast. I want you to get rid of these people and I want you to say this. Anyone who's afraid, go home. Go home. No harm, no foul, go home. And so how many, how many, 22,000 people leave and God's like, okay, now we've got 10,000. Nope, still too many people. So send your people down to the river, and I'm gonna tell you who, who's, gonna, who's gonna go with you. And so they go, and he goes, anyone who, who goes down and gets water and then laps the water like a dog, those are the ones you're going into battle. Now, these are not D-A-W-Gs, like, you know, these are my dogs. We're going into battle. These are like the lame guys. These are, the, these are like... We're going into battle with guys that drink water like a dog. Like, really? God's like, yeah, those are your 300 that I'm going to take you into battle with. God's plan is so counterintuitive to our mindset. We think we need to bring in the big forces to fight the big battles. And God's like, nope. We're going to go in with 300 DOGs, dogs. God's plan is to do what he wants not what we think is best. I'm telling you, at the beginning of this year, um, a couple of, like me and John and, and a couple of our staff, we had put together some plans and, uh, for the year. And uh, like, let me just read some of these. We wanted to bring on a full-time staff member to run children's ministry. We wanted to become a church with localized leadership. We did accomplish bringing on a worship leader, so there were some things that were taking place. We wanted to be a church with 100 people who said that they attended our church. We wanted to be a church that met in a building that fits all of our needs. And so through the first two months of the year, some of you were here with us, we were starting to accomplish these realities. I mean, there were 17 people gathered in my home for a membership class to, to join the church. This is not just like, I'm just curious about this church. No, this is people that are like, Hey, we're going to be part of this church, linking arms with you. I, we, were, we were starting to move into a space um, that would be bigger for us. We were on the up and up. We were going into this community with 32,000 people, and then God said, yeah, COVID. This is not how I want my battle to be fought. It's going to look a lot different than what you planned, Dan. It's gonna look a lot different the way you expected it to be. And this is exactly how I want my battle to be fought. My plans are far different than you. We have lost a number of people in our city because they've been transferred out from job loss. We've lost people, but God has us right where we want, right where he wants us. I felt like we had an army of 32,000, and now, 
it feels like we have an army of 300. But this is exactly what God wants. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his step, Proverbs 16, 9. Do we trust, do I trust that God is able to work with less to accomplish his purposes? Judges 7 reminds us that without a doubt, God can indeed accomplish his purposes with far less than we expect. And we are called to trust our God regardless of the people we see standing shoulder to shoulder. This includes me and it includes you in this church. We are to trust God and his plans for they are good. So my friends, we are people of the ear and I wanna ask you to put your ear to the rail and to hear if God is moving. As I do, I hear God moving because less is more. God can do far more with less that we might not boast that it might be about him. So let us see the movement of God and his plan in defeating the Midianites and take courage from that, that we can press on. But let's see more movement that we might be encouraged by this. We looked at God's plan. Let's look at God's gift. The reality of being people of the ear being people of faith, is that it can indeed be difficult. Our tendency is to be people of the eyes, to see how things are going, base, base our life, our emotions, our, our whatever it might be on what we see. And so being called to say, hey, there's something better on the other end of this massive army around us, it's kind of hard to do that. But yet, as Christians, we are called to be people of faith. We are called to be people of faith even in the face of great odds. It's been like this for a long time, and it applies to Gideon. He was called to be a man of faith. I mean, imagine yourself being Gideon and saying, okay, we've got 300, and we're about to go against this army of however many people. I mean, if there's ever a, a gulping moment, a testing of faith, I, I don't know what what, this might be one of the greatest ones in all the Bible, with the exception of Christ going to the cross and bearing our sins for us. That is a great, great test of faith. And God, in the midst of it, goes, you know what, Gideon? I know this is hard. <laughs> Your faith needs a gift. And so he gives them a gift. And he gives them the gift in the form of a dream. You remember what, what he told Gideon. He said, Gideon, I want you to go down into the camp and you and your, your servant, Purah, go to the edges of the, of the camp and, and you'll see that I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. And so Gideon and Purah in the middle of the night go down into the camp and they, they get to the edge of the camp and what does Gideon hear? He hears a dream that a Midianite has had and it's being interpreted to another Midianite. A loaf of barley is coming down a hill and it's about to come crashing down on the tent of the Midianites. And the Midianites concluded it is the Israelites who are coming and who are going to, to bring judgment against us and they're going to crush us. And Gideon and Purah heard that and they said, surely the Lord is going to deliver us from the Midianites' hands. Let's go back with our 300 men because he's going to deliver us. God gives us Little gifts to remind us your faith is not futile. 
There might be an army standing before you, but there's gifts that the, that the Lord brings to us to keep us being people of the ear, not of the eye. I told you John Mark told me the story, and this is, this is really what triggered me. It's been, like I said, it's been a hard season for me. And John Mark, as we were finishing up our lunch together, he goes, Dan, I want to tell you something. He goes, I, I, I don't, I, did you, were you like waffling whether or not to tell me, John Mark? He was waffling whether or not to tell me. And he goes, I had a dream. I had a dream. I'm always here for John Mark's dreams. John Mark is, he's a very imaginative person, and I love that. And so I'm always wanting to hear what it is. And he said, here's the dream. I was sitting in a room, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to tell it as best as I can. Is that good? Yeah. All right, good. He said, I'm sitting in a room, and it's dark. And it's not like this, this it's, he said, it's not like an evil presence. It's just a darkness. And, and he said, there was a few people in the room, but then people started walking through the doors. And I'd get up to go meet them, and then I, I would go back to my seat, and someone would be in the seat. And as more people started coming into the room, the, the, the room started getting brighter and brighter. And he said, it kept happening. I, more people would come in. I'd go to greet them, and they'd take my chair. And he said, it was kind of frustrating. It was kind of like, hey, why are you taking my chair? But at the same time, it was deeply encouraging to him because he was like, okay, there's more people coming in. It tells you a little bit about his heart. He's willing to go meet people, and I love that. But I listen to that, and I go, that is exactly how I feel right now. It feels dark. It's hard. People that I've loved, I don't get to see. I don't rub shoulders with them day to day. But here's the story. This dream, this small gift that God has given me on a random Tuesday lunch that encouraged me deeply in the faith. I, I don't know how to interpret dreams. I don't even know what to make of it. All I know, it was deeply encouraging to me to keep going, to be a person of the ear and not of the eye. It was so encouraging to me. And God's done it before in Judges 7. I'm like, why can't God do it again? And I was so, so deeply encouraged by that dream. You know, God will often give us gifts in the midst of our fears and doubts. He'll peel back the curtain to give us a glimpse of what he's really doing that we might continue to be people of the ear, that we might continue to say, I trust you. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. It could be a conversation with a friend. It could be a song on the radio. It could be a sermon from a pastor. But God gives us these gifts that we might continue to be people of the ear. And what a beautiful God we have that he would do this to us. Oftentimes, I'm not a man of great faith. I'm a man of little faith. I associate with Gideon. Gideon is constantly like, all right, God, are you sure you want me to do this? I'm gonna lay this fleece out. If it's dry, then I'll do it. If it's not, then I won't do it. Are you sure you want me to do this? If it's not, okay, I'm gonna... Here's a man waffling all the time, but God constantly is giving him gifts, and he gave me that gift. Let us be people of the ear, being aware of the ways that God has given us gifts to continue in that way. So God's movement, his, his plan, his, his gift, and now thirdly, his battle. How does God fight the battle? How does he use 300 men to defeat this massive army? Well, he 
overcomes this intimidating opponent in an unorthodox, unexpected way. How does God fight the battle? Recall it. Gideon divides his 300 men into three companies, and he places trumpets and empty jars in the hands of men, and those jars have torches inside them. He says, come on, watch me and follow my lead. And what he does next scares the Midianites to death. He takes the, 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 the jars and breaks them, and they blow their trumpets, and the chaos that ensues in the Midianite camp is such that they don't know who they're fighting. I mean, they're surrounded by 300 men, and they think the Israelites are coming into the camp. And what happens? The Midianites take their swords, and they start plunging it into each other, and they start killing each other. Gideon didn't even fight the battle. He just did what God said, and God fought the battle. Then, when all chaos erupted, Gideon and his men went after them, and they overthrew the two leaders of the Midianites. What I want you to see from the way that God fights his battle is that God fights his battles, the battles against the most intimidating opponents in the most unorthodox ways. And they're unorthodox because God wants the glory, not his people. He always fights the most intimidating battles in unorthodox ways. This is true for this story, but it's also true with our intimidating opponent, sin. We wouldn't think of sin being fought in the form of a man, a God-man, dying upon a tree and taking upon himself the curse of that sin. But that is exactly how God fought our greatest battle, the battle of sin. He takes our sin and puts it on Jesus and he fights the sin that plagues us, that darkness on us, And he defeats it by rising from the dead three days later. God fights the most intimidating battles in the most unorthodox ways, but he does this because it's his glory that he wants, not ours. How do I apply this to today? I did not envision being in this room in February. I didn't. But this is the way that God is orchestrating things. And what I know from this passage is that God fights his battles, the most intimidating battles, in unorthodox ways. And I get the sense that God is doing that with us right now. I mean, we've we've contracted in size, but there's small little gifts that he's giving us and saying, keep going, don't stop, I'm on the move, I'm fighting this battle. I mean, I know there's a lot of churches in this community and praise be to God, we need more churches though. We need more churches who believe God, that he's going to accomplish his word and that we must trust that he is going to fight the battle to establish another church in this city and he's gonna do it in unorthodox ways. He's going to do it with faithless leaders like myself and faithless people like you that we might know it ain't us. Trust me, it ain't us. It was you, God, that established this church. Are there battles in your life that you can't shake? I talked about the church, but are there battles in your life that you're just like, 
this is so intimidating and I don't know how to deal with it. Well, God's gonna, God can deal with it. It'll be unorthodox on how he deals with it. But you can go to him and he'll conquer those things. He can do it with us too. Because God fights the most intimidating battles in unorthodox ways and he's always victorious. My friends, put your ear to the rail. What do you hear? I hear a God on the move. I hear a God who's doing something that I'm not even quite sure what he's doing, but I know it's good. Let us be people of the ear, continuing to trust that he is on the move, that he will accomplish his purposes, that not only will God accomplish his purposes through this church, but through the churches in our community. God's going to win. Let us trust him. We are people of the ear. Let me pray. Our God, we thank you for the testimonies of your faithfulness through the ages. We thank you for the testimony of your, of your deliverance of your people through the story of Gideon. Oh, it gives us great encouragement in the midst of our day that no matter the battle that we face, whether it be personal, whether it be corporate as a church, or even whether it be as a, as, as a family, that there is no battle that you are not capable of winning. Yes, you do it in unorthodox ways, but we trust that those unorthodox ways ultimately will bring deliverance, that it will ultimately lead to your victory because you're the one behind it. May we be people of the ear. May we trust you all the days of our lives. Amen.